Welcome everybody to our ongoing nightclub interview series, where my guest today is the absolutely delightful nutritionist, yoga instructor, and breathing specialist, Amanda Morley. She really opened up my eyes to a lot of inspiring information about the power of inspiration, the power of breathing altogether. We talk about resonant, coherent breathing, the centrality of breath in terms of improvements for body, speech, mind, and spirit altogether. Amanda brings an amazing wealth of practical experience and expertise in an area that so many of us take for granted, but don't really know that much about. Really, lucid breathing leads to extended kind of lucid living. Join us in this nuts and bolts discussion where we get to the nitty-gritty of truly one of the most central and important aspects of life itself. Everybody, to our ongoing nightclub interview series, and uh, it seems like every time I do these, I, I have uh, ever-increasing, more fascinating guests. And so um, my delight today to introduce you to the work of Amanda Morley, who really does some awesomely interesting things. And her, her history and her story is compelling enough that I thought I would let her introduce herself as a kind of a platform for the topics that we're going to be discussing. And so Amanda, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule in the UK. And tell us a little bit about who, who you are and um, how you've come to your particular station in life. <laughs> Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's lovely to be here. And exactly, who am I? <laughs> Yeah, good question, right? Um, yeah. Um, so, yes, I'm, I live um, in the UK, so I'm a slightly different time zone at the moment. Um, but I've uh, been working, uh, my, my work has kind of changed and evolved as I have, really. Uh, I trained as a nutritionist, and I think um, working as a nutritionist, uh, you know, I kind of felt that I wasn't giving people what they needed at the end of the day. I wasn't kind of getting to the heart of the matter. And so it kind of led me on many different paths. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, I'm a yoga teacher. I, you know, I've always loved yoga and I finally sort of did my teacher training, which then led me deeper into kind of spiritual practice and meditation. And, um, and during that time, I had a very profound experience in breathwork. It was quite a, a profound sort of spiritual, uh, if you want to call it, experience that really ignited something in me. And I was became rather fascinated in it all and sort of went on various different uh, retreats and workshops, you know, discovering all these different types of breathwork that I hadn't heard about Um and yeah, so I just sort of went deeper and deeper into it. And eventually I trained as a breath body mind teacher with uh, Dr. Patricia Gerbarg and Dr. Richard Brown, who I know Charlie Morley has spoken about. He also did some training with them. They're fantastic people, very inspiring people, do beautiful work. Um, and so I've kind of, the way I work now is I kind of, mix it all up to be honest um i have found that uh you know with my with my nutrition clients please excuse my dog in the background no it's not good we love he's obviously, he's obviously heard something um he likes to join in um and yeah so you know 
I've forgotten what I was saying now. But um, yeah, there's been this process of needing to sort of rewind with people. And so I've sort of rewound it to the breath, really. And this is as far as I've got so far. I'm still learning. I'm still evolving. But yeah, uh, yeah, the breath has, has really started to, it certainly shifted things for me. And I find with my clients, it's a very beautiful way in to really help them get to kind of the root of, of their problems. That's fantastic. There's so many things I really want to discuss with you. And, and it kind of is a, as a context of why I think we do have a lot of resonant territory to, to riff on is that I really want to convey to our listeners, as I have been over the last couple of years, that this whole waking up business, spiritual meditation thing is not just a mind thing. It's it's really a mind-body thing. And, and I often say that, especially in the tantric traditions, one of the great kind of distinguishing characteristics of Tantra is body is as important as mind. Um, and so that's we, especially when we're doing things like Eastern induction techniques for lucid dreaming and dream yoga, we're using the body actually as a way to bring about lucidity. And the great Tantric sage Saraha once said very pointedly, you know, wisdom abides in the body. So I often like this kind of augmentation of the traditional approach of waking up, which I think has provisional validity to a, a more integral, complete approach of waking down, waking down into the wisdom of the body. But if you don't mind, um, I would love, if, if you're comfortable talking about it, what was this profound breath experience? Because I, I personally get inspired. There's that word, inspire. I personally get inspired when I hear um, people's transformational stories and so if there was something in particular around breath that triggered that i would love to hear it so can you tell us a little bit about that yeah sure um it was it was interesting it was at uh, uh, where i do my yoga um there was a workshop happening one day um and this lady was coming in to you know talk about breath work and i was very intrigued so i went along to this workshop so there were a number of us there and um, she did a lot of um, sort of warming up. You know, we did a lot of the kind of diaphragm release and voice release, a lot of sound. Um, she was very, it was very embodied experience. We really sort of got into that kind of practice. And then we, um, then she got us lying down on the floor and we started doing this active breath, which a lot of people, you know, I've now since discovered a lot of people do this active breath. It, it it stems from a pranayama technique where you take a very forceful inhale and some people do it in two parts, some people do it in one big one and then you relax on the exhale. And it's um, it, it, it sort of stemmed from the, the, um, the rebirthing uh, breath yeah. you know, started by Leonard Orr in the 70s. So I think people have sort of developed it from that um and it was that, so it was that kind of breath. So you're you're really getting sort of hyperventilating a bit. You're going numb. You're going tingly, and um, I could hear various people in the room. And sort of we're lying down, and we've got eye masks on, and I could hear various people in the room getting quite emotional and, you know, having quite a reaction to this breath. And I was lying there thinking, oh gosh, what's going on? You know, I had no idea. It was like, oh. What, what's happening <laughs> and uh anyway I sort of went with it and we sort of came to the end of this kind of active breath um 
and just towards the end and and she was coming round um and you know doing very sort of physical touching on areas that she felt you were tense and she came round to me towards the end and she started uh rubbing my chest and my voice area and it was like this emotional splurge just sort of emerged and I didn't really understand it I didn't even know what it was about it was a real primal deep release of something and yeah and I and and obviously in that situation when they're doing that kind of breath work they really encourage you to keep with it so she keeps with you and really helps you to let it out and so it was quite a huge emotional release and I went home really confused thinking wow you know that was quite powerful I had no idea what it was about so I knew I needed to go and see her privately so I booked a one-to-one because I needed to understand a little bit more and I did a one-to-one with her and she did um, a lot of kind of uh, body work first we did a lot of body release and massage and And then we went into the breathing and instead of having this emotional release, I then, when we got to the end of this so-called active breath, you then go into a deep relaxation. Um, They play this beautiful music and I just went to light. It was just the most beautiful crystal blue light I have ever seen. It was just beautiful. And I didn't really even understand that. It was only when I came out and she said, well, you know, how did you feel? She said, you completely stopped breathing. She said, you weren't breathing at all. But she's there watching you. So, you know, you're obviously in a deep, deep, deep state. Yeah. And and I said, I just saw this most beautiful crystal blue light I've ever seen. And she said, well, that's interesting because it's very related to your throat chakra and this is where you have all of your blockages and everything so it yeah that was the start of my journey because it was like wow okay that was really powerful um yeah (laughs) Yeah, i mean there's so many things here interesting like in terms of um finding your voice i mean perhaps yeah i mean here i am not knowing you at all but maybe there was something going along those lines but there there are a couple things that are really interesting to me here amanda you know in the inner yogas they talk about penetrating, excuse me, penetrating the vital points, which is a large part of what the inner work is designed to do through visualization, through breath control, um, and sometimes taction, sometimes touching, but but it seems like that somehow the breath had prepared you for the penetration of this particular vital point, right? And then, and then using Eastern language, this this release of maybe some some scara, some kind of entrapment, some yeah. cathartic thing where then all this energy comes up. Um, but what I really like is when you talk about, and, and sometimes people go, oh, that's just exaggeration. But this this uh, really fantastic kind of samadhi of absorption state that ensues when people literally stop breathing. And people go, oh, they're just they're just saying that, you know, that, that you can't, how can you like stop breathing and stay alive. Well, it's actually not uncommon at all. I mean, I've had experiences and and similarly, some of the most powerful experiences for me have been related to breath. Um, 
which includes utter cessation of respiration, literally entering complete absorption states, yeah. where there's no discernible breathing whatsoever. I mean, I'm sitting there and I, I can't detect any breathing at all. And correlative to that, of course, is complete tranquil mind. I mean, it's like the surface chop. The wind is completely stopped and the ocean of the mind has completely settled into this mirror-like dimension. Um, and so sometimes in, in the inner yogas, this can be done uh, in a more graceful way, but sometimes there are more forceful methods of actually holding the breath in particular ways to bring about this type of cessation of thought. And so how, can you say a little bit more, Amanda, about how it has informed and transformed you since then? Is this something that you're able to return to? Was it, was it a, a, a one-time kind of experience or how is how has it actually lingered with you and informed what you're doing even today? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's had that very interesting effect of don't grasp at those experiences yeah. <laughs> because it was particularly profound and particularly beautiful. And so, yes, you do find yourself wanting. So I've, but, you know, this was sort of eight years ago now. So I've kind oh. of moved on a bit from that. And yeah. I did go on a number of uh, different retreats to try different types of breath work. And I guess I was much more open to it. Um, I was also looking for something. Um, I never quite had that experience again, but I did very much have that uh, emotional release, which, you know, sometimes you think, um, is it just because, you know, some people, uh, you know, comment, oh, it's just because you're hyperventilating and you're getting yourself in a state and, you know, your nervous system is going on overdrive. and. I, I can see that there could be an element of that, but you know, when you have that kind of release that you feel so much better and clearer afterwards, then I, I think that's a pretty good thing. Um, but what I have gone from is, you know, that was all very well for me to kind of have some healing experiences myself, which I, I definitely needed for sure. But I then sort of got to the point where, you know, I wanted to help other people, but it it didn't quite, you know, I couldn't quite, I wasn't quite ready to bring that kind of thing into my work. You know, my clients were coming to see me for <laughs> nutrition advice and I, it was a bit of a big jump. Um, and also I then uh, got more into this coherent breathing, which I know Charlie talked with you about um, which we learnt with uh, Patricia Gerbarg and Richard Brown. Um, and that has also transformed me further in the way that it's it's so balancing. It's a beautiful practice. I mean, if I don't do my 20 minutes every day, I really know about it. It's It's just something that is a very beautiful daily practice and it's something that... I have been able to use as a base with my work and develop practices from that that can be just as therapeutic without necessarily having to go into all that. I think sometimes people are ready for You have to be ready for an experience like that. You have to be open to it. And it's not always great for some people. Some people don't always react in the right way to those things. And some people can traumatize themselves more. So you you know, you have to be a little bit careful with those kind of methods. And I wasn't in the position to sort of do that. As uh, I have to say, as, as things have progressed, 
you know, you do start looking at other areas and where you can help people on a deeper level. But um, for me at the moment, uh, it was really nice to develop this restorative practice with the breathing, with the yoga, you know, I was doing yoga nidra and that kind of thing. Um, and so it's kind of got a little bit more gentle, but just as healing in a way and just as transformative for, for people. It's fantastic. I, I, let, let's riff on this a little bit because I think, again, what I really love to stress, and you are so expert in this now, is, is the, uh, the role that the body and, and these foundational principles of, of good nutrition and good breathing and, and, and basic body work, it's, I think, a common, maybe I'm just revealing my previous ignorance, but it's somewhat common in the business, the spiritual arena to, oh, I, I, that's all taken care of. I'm just going to work on my spiritual stuff, right? I'm just going to work with my, my mind and meditation. But I think as you've come to experience and certainly resonates with my own experience, if we don't have, it's almost like this maxim that I use often from the wisdom traditions, the preliminaries are more important than the main practice, that if you don't have healthy foundations, and in the West, this is a really big problem where, where everybody's impatient Everybody's got to get to the goodies. Yeah. Uh, why can't I attain enlightenment in the weekend kind of thing? And so by hopscotching over some of these foundations, then people are left somewhat bewildered, like, well, why isn't why am I not really changing? Why is why aren't these meditations working? Well, perhaps it's because the infrastructure really isn't intact. And so, I mean, remedial work isn't the right term, but I think you get what I'm saying, and this is what I want to convey to our listeners is that this type of uh, restorative work or regeneration at these foundational levels, this is a big deal. Um, and so this is what I'd like to explore with you a little bit more, both, both the, the relationship of breath to body and mind and, and nutrition. Um, and so with that in mind, um, maybe I'm not sure like what is primary, you know, like, is it, maybe I can just ping this your way and then you can use your intuition to tell me, is it more, if we're going to build a successful house infrastructure, do we start, I guess the answer would be, we start with all of them, but for purposes of discussion, nutrition, body, breath, whatever. So let's, let's, let's ping against all these and, and see what we can um, share with our listeners to help them understand the importance of just good, clean living, right? <laughs> <laughs> so whatever, whether it's nutrition, because this is one that, that I have to say, I, I work with this because even though my, I consider my diet to be pretty free of sugars and stuff like that, I, I am also, I still have residual addictions to salt. I still have to have my little whatevers. And, and um, I, I'm always interested to learn, especially from people who are spiritually inclined, what the role of nutrition has been in their psycho-spiritual development. So maybe we can start there. How, how's that sound? Yeah, absolutely. Um Food has been a very interesting journey for me. Uh, it's kind of why I went into it, really. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think we have to remember that, you know, even with food, everything starts in our brain and with our nervous system. And, you know, even, you know, when we're, even when we're thinking about food, about what we might eat or preparing our food, our brain is making predictions about how that 
food is going to be in our body, how we're going to start, you know, we start producing chemicals, we start producing all sorts of things. So, you know, whilst, and, and, you know, because people have uh, almost become over obsessed really with healthy eating now, I think it's, you know, we've got this issue with orthorexia now, which is this kind of obsession with healthy eating. Um, and certainly when I, you know, was doing my nutrition training, you could see, you know, we we're all kind of going that way, getting very obsessed. And it, again, it's, it's finding that balance. And I guess with a lot of people were coming to see me because they wanted their problem to be about food. But I knew at the end of the day, it wasn't about food. It was about them and who they are and exactly spirit, you know, what, 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 what was going on for them spiritually. But, you know, you can't necessarily go in with that because some people don't, you know, you know, they don't react to the word spirituality even very well. A lot, you know, so you, you kind of have to find your way in, which is why dealing with the, you know, working with the breath has helped so much for me getting in with that. But, um, yeah, obviously, you know, the nutrition is very important that, you know, we need certain nutrients in our body for it to perform well. But we're all different, you know, we're all made up differently. And so we all digest, we all absorb things in different way. We have, you know, different processes going on in our body as to how we might deal with that particular food. Um, and in nutrition, yeah, we can go very deep into that path of, you know, doing tests and working out what you might need and, um, you know, doing all the DNA testing as well to see what you... And that's all great and useful, but I I, I prefer to work in a, in a more fundamental, basic way and let's really, let's keep rewinding and get to what it's really about. Mm-hmm. Um and I find that once you get back there, and certainly with me, for sure, with my sort of eating habits, um, despite training as a nutritionist, despite knowing everything that I should eat, it was only when I did the spiritual work that I really started to value my body and value myself more and want to feed myself the right thing, whether that's with food or breath or body work or, you know, whatever, you whatever spiritual practice you do. Um, yeah, it, it, it's become about that to me. I mean, as I say, I'm kind of ever evolving and ever learning. And um, this is kind of where I've got to at the moment. Um, and yeah. <laughs> so how, how idiosyncratic or individual is this Amanda? So, like, when someone comes to see you, do you do you derive most of your insights and then prescriptions, so to speak, based on the dialogue and the information and the feedback that you're getting from a person, or how carte blanche can some of these instructions be? Because obviously, um, for our purposes, when we're sharing with quite a number of people, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the ability to engage in this kind of dialogue. So. How important is the individual customizing of nutritional counseling and how much can actually be be derived and maybe with this latter in mind, what can you share with us in more kind of generic general terms that can provide perhaps when we're talking about infrastructure, even in infrastructure and nutrition on the generic level before it becomes more customized when someone goes to 
meet with an expert like you. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, forgive me. Could you say sure. that again? Yeah, totally. So, so the question for me is, how, how important is it to have customized, individualized advice from a nutritional counselor like yourself? How important is that? And how much can one share, like even, for instance, right, like right now with our listeners, how much can you share with us um, on a much more generic level before it got, does get customized? So those two questions, how much can you share with us about, irrespective about, of doing the, yeah, about, about basic nutritional guidance, right? And then how important is it to say, oh yeah, you know, maybe you haven't thought about it be- before, but you really may want to meet with a nutritionist to gain more specific advice for your bio makeup and that sort of thing. Mm. I guess I've got to the point in my work where, um, you know, when you're doing nutrition, it is quite intense and you have to keep up to date on the research, which literally changes every five minutes. There's a new paper comes out about something. So I have to say I have slightly moved away from doing the very intense, complicated, complex cases in my nutrition work. Um, And I've kind of gone to more of this kind of, you know, spiritual yoga meditation Uh type thing um yes that's sort of been a change that i've been sort of processing over the last few years so i don't so you know if somebody had a very complex issue that was regards to food i may send someone else however other people get people to come and see me sometimes first because sometimes what we need to do is just to get their nervous system balanced. Mm. Um, And often that will change the way the food is behaving in the body, which is a lot of people's problem is digestion um, and a lot of issues around that. Obviously there's going to be things, you know, like if someone's got some severe deficiency in vitamin D or something or some kind of B12 deficiency, then, you know, there's obviously something major going on and you would make sure you did some testing. Um, but in the way that I feel about uh, life now, I tend to work on more of um, this kind of fundamental, let's get back to basics level. As I said, I've, I sort of kept having in my head this kind of feeling that we kept needing to rewind and rewind and rewind out of these stories because we're all in these stories about our health. And also a lot of people come to see nutritionists because uh, they want a quick fix, a bit like the way they've gone to the doctor to get the, the medication they then want to go to see a nutritionist to get the healthy pill instead of, you know, the kind of supplements instead of, and it's, it was very, it's very difficult working with people to get them to understand, like you were saying, everybody wants to do things quickly and it's getting them to understand that it's a slow process, that if you want to be really healthy, it is about looking at all of this. It's about doing it all gradually. It's not about, taking a pill or a magic supplement. Um, There are basics that we need to eat and put into our body, which most people know. I mean, you you know, we know within what we should eat, really. Um, But obviously, you know, we we can, the media doesn't help and all these (laughs) diets coming out doesn't help. And obviously some people are going to eat meat and some people aren't. And, you know, there's those slight, 
differences which are quite fundamental now but apart from that the basics are quite straightforward um yeah so i i prefer working on the the rewinding bit yeah <laughs> yeah I, I, I want to get back to that a little bit also because when when i hear rewind i also hear rewind rewind which, yes. which is a way to work with the wind energy but but a couple of things here when you when you talk about balancing the nervous system say a little bit more about that is that is that a straightforward is balancing sympathetic and parasympathetic agendas or or say more about about that and how how you actually go about um, balancing the nervous system yeah i think um sympathetic and parasympathetic is a little bit over talked about these days in you know it's kind of been simplified really and it's a much more complicated process because we're you know we're actually in both states all the time different parts you know different part systems of our body work in different ways and so um i try not to talk about those terms in quite such a simplistic uh-huh. way you know people kind of think oh if you're in parasympathetic then you're in rest and digest and so you're going to digest right. your food whereas it's i think it's a little bit more complex than that um so in essence, I think, yeah, so the quickest way to change how you're feeling and thinking is to change your breathing, for sure. You know, as as Patricia Gerbach says, you know, it's, um, what is it she says about the lungs? Um, the lungs control, the lungs speak to the brain, and they do. You know, we not only send messages down, we send messages up. And a lot of the time, to be honest with you, most people are not breathing properly. And so most people are not sending the right messages up to their brain. Um, I wasn't for most of my life until I realized. And um, so the best way for me that I found with people is to start with the breathing and to get them feeling calmer, Uh um, feeling more balanced. um, And yeah start it, it's i think we you know it's so simple really yeah. we, we overlook yeah. it because it yeah. is so simple yeah. and you know i haven't got a complicated answer because to be honest with you that's where i start if i can with people is to get them breathing and usually if i send someone away and get them to do a breathing practice for a couple of weeks they're like a different person when i see them two weeks later yeah. you know so yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that then, because th- I mean, there's so many interesting things here. I mean, one comment is, uh, and when I really started to digest this in the in the Buddhist tradition, the more advanced the practice really is. In fact, the most advanced practices are actually the simplest, and 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 so it's very interesting when you look at even the hierarchy of like the Tibetan Buddhist practices, of which, as you know, Amanda, there are so many, right? Yeah. Some of the entry level ones are once you get past the, the basic sitting meditation, they're rather complicated and there's all this literature and you have to learn and study. And, but it's very interesting. It's almost like a triangular, a peaking thing because the more advanced a practice gets, the simpler it gets. And actually there's the less there is to say until at the very end, of course, in this kind of diminuendo, decrescendo, there's actually nothing to say. So I think that the this is one a really important point um, that we should not be uh, dismissive of the simplicity. I mean, in a very real way, 
um, complexity doesn't stand a chance against simplicity, right? So, uh, sim simplicity can defeat complexity. And so if we can just surrender to some of these really foundational principles and tenets, then that uh, can reverse our relationship that we're thinking we're looking for something. I always say we're looking for Hollywood when the experience is actually more like in America, like Oklahoma or Kansas. And so I never want to offend people for Oklahoma and Kansas, but you know, you get the idea. It's just really ordinary. So let's talk a little bit about, in fact, more than a little bit, breath and breath as nutrition, breath as food. I mean, we can go, what, how many days before uh, we starve to death? I don't know the exact number, but weeks. We can go maybe two, three days without water. Most people can't go two, three minutes without the fundamental nutrition of breath work. So talk to us, Amanda, if you would, a little bit about, because I'm, I'm actually personally very interested in this, about more about how the lungs speak to the brain, how the lungs speak to the spirit, and how we can use, like you were saying, and again, I, throw, I know I'm throwing a lot of noodles up right now, but like when you say you send somebody out to do breath work, they come back in a couple of weeks, they're, they're changed. Is there a standard template of breathing exercises that you can share with us? Or again, would it be a little bit of an assessment thing? So someone comes in, they present in a certain way, they have a particular kind of psychograph or whatever portrait, and then you write this little prescription for breath work. Or in simplistic terms, again, using simplicity now in an honorific way, can you give us some really simple advice for working with breathing in this capacity, enhancing our relationship to breath? Yeah, if you want the really simplistic answer, it's to do 20 minutes coherent breathing every day at some point. <laughs> and, and, okay, so what, walk us through that. Do you, you, yeah. you mind? Because I think this is really important. You know, I mean, as preparation for life and in particular, um, when we're doing, I'm more interested now when I'm doing meditation retreats, before I even introduce people to meditation, connecting them to the body, connecting them to breath. Because then again, upon that church, upon that rock, then we can build a meditative church. So let's start at, at ground zero, so to speak, if you're okay with that. Yeah. Like if you were, here you go. So here you are, Amanda. I, you're about to lead a week-long meditation retreat, okay? Wow. So how would you, the breath, body, mind thing, how, how would you instruct people coming in into a meditation retreat before you introduce meditation? How would you work with them in the breath work? Um, so obviously with, you know, if I was with somebody individually, we would look at more of how they're breathing and, you know, I, I must talk a little bit about the diaphragm at some point, which is so fundamental in this. And some people are, and I was just stuck there. You know, if, if you haven't been moving your ribs and your diaphragm for many years, you know, you can get very stuck there. And so we often have to do a bit of release work. Um, but yes, uh, with regards to a group, um, I would, what I do now, I incorporate um, Qigong movement um, a lot now because I find it the most beautiful practice and it has helped me so much. And yeah, often we start with, which they do in breath, body, mind, we start with the kind of tapping and the shaking, you know, just really loosening and waking everything up. Um, and you tap all around the meridians of the body and that kind of thing. And then um, what I do now is I've 
we have some uh, music tones that we use for the coherent breath to really time it well and it's a really it's quite a good monotone bell sound so you don't get too wrapped up in the music and you just kind of it becomes a little bit hypnotic you just kind of end up breathing to this rate but before that I like to do some qigong and I've got some very beautiful music that I do it with where we time the breath with the movement and I just it starts to slow the breath down so you know you're with the coherent breath the ideal rate is is five well it's actually 5.1 breaths a minute and you know a lot of people can't stretch their breath that far because you know that's to a count of six seconds um in and six seconds out so you know I would start by slowing the breath down and the best way to do that is to use some movement um, I mean, even if you use your hand, you know, you can try it now. Even if you, as you breathe in, you open your fingers. Mm -hmm. And as you breathe out, you close your fingers. And it's a beautiful way of kind of, you know, you start to embody. I mean, that's a very simple version of, of what we can do. But it's, yes, it's about embodying it and feeling it in your body. Because if you, you know, some people... And, and that's the thing, I think, with mindfulness, I know other people touch on this now, is that, you know, we say watch the breath, but a lot of people are really not breathing very well. And um, I think that's really useful. And, you know, I, I do. I like to watch my breath initially to see how I'm breathing. I think it's really interesting to have that curiosity around it. But often with the people I'm working with, they're maybe not so advanced and what they need is to actually calm their nervous system down and be in more of a balanced state first, which the coherent breathing sort of method really helps with. And so once they're in that more coherent state, obviously everything starts working in your body a lot better. The science behind it is is incredible. You know, Stephen Elliott has done the most amazing work with the coherent breathing method. Um, and what was I going to say? I've, I've diverted, haven't I? Sorry. Um, oh, no, 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 you're, you're definitely on track. Yeah. Just, no, no, just keep going. Super interesting. <laughs> um, and yeah, so when, if I'm teaching a group, that's what I do. So we do some Qigong. I will sometimes do, maybe do a bit of restorative yoga on the floor you know just in some nice positions just to get people in a position where they can breathe freely you know to get them in some nice open positions um and then i would go into the coherent breath ideally for 20 minutes but usually in a in a group setting you start off with about 10 and then um i mean i then work with people doing a guided meditation um in Qigong, they do these lovely kind of sort of color, you know, you breathe in the jewel colors of your organs and you imagine polishing your organs with these colors. And mm. for me, I find breathing in color really powerful and really helpful. And a, a lot of people do just because, especially if you don't visualize very well, breathing in the color can be really therapeutic for people. Um so yeah, we do some meditation around that. I like to um, bring nature in as we do with Qigong. It's that lovely connection with nature. And 
you know, yes, you, you do a lot of visualization in Qigong, but also it's about feeling it in your body and your beautiful word, which changed everything for me, the feelingization. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just really getting into that side of it. And, yeah, I um, no, that's 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 really fantastic. So, and say a little bit more, Amanda, about as a as a yoga instructor. Then, so most people do probably connect a little bit more to yoga than to qigong, at least in the circles where I work with. So, how how can one engage, like in in a in a more like a yin based yoga, or when when you're working within a yoga capacity to prepare the body mind? How, how does that how does that get engaged? Um, yeah, I mean the the yoga that I do is purely um, yeah yin or or restorative for sure. Um, and obviously there's that huge crossover with yin and uh, qigong. So you know with the Chinese medicine, um, so they go really well together. I think. Um, yeah, I don't tend to do much other yoga, to be honest, apart from, <laughs> but, and, and mainly because it's what people need. You know, people, when people go on retreat, a lot of the time, and certainly it was like that for me until I went on retreats where I literally just stopped and just had quiet. I mean, for me, silent retreats are just magical. I, I love the silence. Um and I think that's what people need is that switch off. They don't, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of active people that prefer to go and do the more dynamic yoga. Of course, there's, you know, we all are looking for different things, but there's a lot of people that could get a lot of benefit from just stopping. Yeah. Boy, isn't that the case, huh? Yeah. It's silence. And I mean, what did Rumi say, right? Silence is the language of God. All Absolutely. else is poor translation, right? So again, these are really simple fundamental principles. Yeah. Stasis, silence, spaciousness, and then working with this. So, so when you do, if you don't mind me asking, so like when you do your your twenty minute sessions, it's interesting. It's it's also as you probably know, the same time that TM recommends twenty minutes twice a day. Yeah, twice a day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that and that's what I started with in in, in the in the. Classic polytext, I think they call, talk about the gatikas, which are, um, tw I think, 24-minute periods. So there's something quite interesting about that 20 to 24-minute range. But are you comfortable sharing with us a little bit more? Because I want to leave people with something. Um, and again, on, on one level, I think the generic uh, or baseline impulses here can be very helpful. But... Uh, are you comfortable sharing with us when you do your 20 minute sessions, what actually comprises your practice during that, that period is a, just an augmentation of what we've already been talking about. Yeah, sure. So, so, you know, if I was just doing my 20 minutes, it depends what, what my day is, is, is about and how much time I've got, but the ideal, the ideal scenario for doing 20 minutes coherent breathing is it is quite good to start off lying on the floor because it just opens up your body more and opens up your chest a little bit more, makes it a bit freer. And, you know, our diaphragm has to work quite a lot. Now that we're vertical beings, it has to work even harder. Um, and, we you know, we need our diaphragm to move up and down to move our organs to have all these incredible benefits. So, you know, it's 
it's quite fundamental to make sure you are breathing properly first. So to make sure you are breathing, your diaphragm is moving up and down. Um, and we breathe in, uh, we, it's all nasal breathing, so it's all through the nose. And the idea with this is that we try not to, if you try to force the breath, um, it can sometimes then put your nervous system into a bit of panic and, you know, it doesn't quite have the right effect. So, so it, which is why it's nice to build it up. So obviously once you are able to do that, then 20 minutes would involve, um, you know, putting the tones on there's, you know, there's the two bells, the famous track on Spotify that Stephen Elliott has done the two bells and you breathe in on the rising tone and you breathe out on the falling tone. There's, there's various different music people have made around it. Um, and what we do with the breath, body, mind practices is once we've kind of got that rhythm going, we then start to get the visualizations of bringing in this energy in, in your body, this chi and breathing it up and down the spine and, you know, you can breathe it into all sorts of areas of your body, depending on, you know, what time you've got, what, what your, you know, what pain you might have, what, you know, what you're sort of looking to deal with. But, you know, obviously there's this fundamental central channel that even if you just breathe for 20 minutes and imagine the breath going up and down the central channel of your spine, that's, a fantastic thing you can do for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And so say a little bit more about how you actually then visualize or feel, you know, feeling eyes that, so to speak. So do you tell, tell us a little bit more about uh, when you're actually feeling, visualizing that, what can be the invitation? Yeah. So, so, yeah. I mean, you know, some people visualize it, you know, cause you get into this beautiful rhythm, you know, you get into this lovely rhythm, this beautiful ebb and flow, um, you know, there's some lovely analogies that they use in Qigong. You know, they talk about the sea of the belly and the sun of the heart and, um, and the, you know, the, 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 the sun warming the sea and the sea cooling the sun. And this, that's a, you know, that's really can be very beautiful. It can be as simple as, you know, the wind, just wind blowing up and down, a wave going up and down, um, yeah, people, it's quite nice for people to create something that works nicely for them. But yeah, just something that has that beautiful ebb and flow and you just get into that beautiful rhythm. Um, you know, as, um, and I was just looking at the, you know, as uh, there's a beautiful uh, quote from Pema Chodron I've got that's here that, you know, she, she says, as each breath goes out, let it be the end of that moment and the birth of something new. And it's just that lovely feeling of letting, really letting go on the exhale and then breathing in something new on the inhale and this beautiful cycle. You know, it's it's this cycle of birth and death, isn't it? It's this yeah, cycle yeah. of getting into and um, a, a lot of the time we don't let go fully. Um, yeah. And I noticed that with myself for a long time, you breathe out and you realize you've still got some tension in your diaphragm and then you just let it go. And quite often people force it out thinking they have to do a forced exhale, but it's about relaxing it. And 
Stephen Elliott, when he recommends the coherent breathing, he talks about the six bridges. And he says that we have to also relax the six bridges, um, which are the eyes, the mouth and the tongue area, um, the, uh, I think the throat is included in that. The diaphragm is, is the major one. And, you know, as he said, we have to get used to relaxing that as well as inflating it. It has to relax. And then there's the pelvic floor, sort of perineum area, and the fingertips mm. and the toes. Mm. Because as he says, if you relax the tips of your fingers and the tips of your toes, then it means all of your limb is relaxed. So that's what he calls the six bridges. So when he does, when he recommends the breathing, he recommends that you go through the six bridges as well to make sure that you're relaxing. And on each exhale, you make sure you relax those areas. So, so it's a nice way to do it as well. So it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I can relate to some of these, but um, relaxing the fingertips and toes, that's, that's a, an interesting, almost abstraction. Yeah. How, how does one actually do that, right? I mean, there has to be like, yeah, I can understand relaxing my diaphragm. I can understand relaxing, you know, muscles. Okay, so I'm going to relax my fingertips and my toes. Like, how do I do that? So, so I'm curious. How do you work or play with that? What, what, what a lot of people do is the, uh, you know, the tense and release that you know mm. that tense mm. and release thing. Um, or you can do that that I did earlier, where you open your fingers, you know, you breathe in and then out and soften. And you can do that with your toes, you know, lifting them up and relax. Um, so you can do that sort of feeling open and close and then just let them relax um, or the tense and release thing. Um, and also what it does is it means you're taking someone's attention away from the head. And into yeah, that's the exactly. Head, which is also very helpful. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's helpful. And so you mentioned this, this term, I, I want to be a little bit more articulate with it. It's implied, but implicit. I want to make it a, a bit more explicit. So, conscious breathing yeah. is that. Is that say? Does it have an additional meaning outside of just mindful breathing? So, a little so share a little bit more about your understanding of that term. Conscious breathing. Yeah, I mean, yes, that's what you know. Everyone talks about is this conscious, connected breathing. So, um, you know, I think we have to become conscious of it initially don't we first I mean it's the you know it's the in mindfulness it's the first thing that we do isn't it is pay attention to our breath it's it's the way in so you know it needs to become conscious um in fact I what was it I picked up on something related to this that I thought was very relevant now because I can't find it but um I'll find it in a minute um no, I haven't got it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I think once you become conscious of it and you get into this rhythm, then you can start letting go of that, can't you? You know, what you, once you've had, particularly if you've done something like the coherent breathing for 20 minutes, then um, you can then start to let go of that and become less conscious of it because, you know, and then you can go into much deeper meditation, of course. Um, and, how, and, and how about the role? I don't 
think I've answered your question very well. <laughs> no, no, no. That's no. That's actually very helpful. You know, because there, you know, what what happens is a lot of times particular paths or methods. In this case, the the, the breath body uh, mind approach. They use these particular terms, and it's like, okay, well, what do they really mean? Like, what is the difference between conscious breathing and and, and mindful breathing? They um, often talk about conscious connected breathing, meaning to breathe in right to the top of the inhale and breathe out right to the top of the exhale. So it's this conscious connected yeah. breath. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and when you're doing that, Amanda, it's my, my understanding is it's within the natural rhythms of your particular breathing, because you mentioned earlier, you don't want to force anything. So does the, does the, the uh, extension from what would be a rapid um, higher velocity type breathing that relaxation into the more ideal 5.5 breaths per minute. So you, again, making something implicit, more explicit, does that naturally just come about when you engage in these practices in this way? In other words, there's no overt intentionality, you know, obviously one exaggeration would be, you don't hold a stopwatch and, and count your breathing, right? So, so say a little bit more about that transition from, it's interesting, speed, how, the human race really has become one and the notion how of speed and stress and, and unwinding and, and how much of what we're doing in this business is really about this fundamental relaxation. I mean, at the deepest levels, right? I mean, we're talking about relaxation in a physiological way, but again, this provides a very profound infrastructure to the absolute centrality of relaxation in, in the highest spiritual instructions. And I, I often share with people in Mahamudra Dzogchen, that allegedly the highest teachings in Tibetan Buddhism, sometimes the irreducible really instruction is just relax. I mean, that's it. That's it. Just simply relax. So it's like we're we're working with a little bit more of that same principle within a more overt uh, kind of physical capacity, using breath as a kind of bridge between uh, mind and body in a certain way. So maybe a little bit more about how we put the brakes, how we decelerate. This happens just naturally when we engage. There has, there has to be this delicate dance between intentionality and then the backfiring of that intentionality if you're too tight. You know, oh, I have to, I have to hit this 5.5 sweet spot, right? And so you get all stressed out because, oh, I haven't quite made it. So I think you get what I'm saying. Can you say a little bit about that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to start where you are. and And that is the whole thing with, you know, if you can accept where you are with your breath, it helps you accept a lot of other things in your life. If you can judge your breath a little bit less, you start judging yourself a little bit less and you start, you know, it's that whole process and it can really start with your breathing. You know, it's it's the only system in our body that we have that is controlled automatically and it's under our control. And, you know, there's a reason for that, you know, it's like an invitation to kind of take part in this beautiful process and um, open and it, I think it's a way of opening to this, to the energy around us and um, yeah, so I, I, I think by learning to, I think with that's the way you have to start with people is to do it very gently, to bring this um, as one of my teachers says, this kind attention, mm -hmm. you know, bringing this kind attention to your breath, because 
you know, as somebody else I was reading about said, it's 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 meta for yourself. It is. It's it's yeah. by doing that for ourselves, we're then going to help you know give it out. But you you know, we have to give this to ourselves. This process and so it's learning to a accept where you are of course as with anything um and to, to, to stop judging it you know there's no perfect way to do it there's no perfect way to do anything in life and you know we're all going to breathe differently you know just like we all digest our food differently we all we all work in different ways so so yeah it's starting where you are and going with that so what 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 you do find with people and that's what um Stephen Elliott says about the diaphragm is that it can get really tight and you can you can free it quite easily there's some you know there's some exercises we can do to to release your diaphragm a little bit but it can freeze up very quickly again so it's about the regularity the same with any practice mm-hmm. so if you do this kind of breathing every day you're gradually going to soften those muscles and open things up um so it is about allowing the process to happen and can you say just briefly um what can you share what some of those diaphragmatic outside of breathings, what some of those yogic or other um, exercises actually might be? Is this something that you can share with people? Yeah. I mean, there's one that, um, that we, that, that, that can be quite straightforward is when you, I don't know if you can see me, when you, when you breathe in, you push in your ribs with your hands Hmm. as you're breathing in. So you're stopping your ribs moving out. And then when you've got your full breath, you then release your hands and allow your ribs to come out so they sort of should then just and if you do that a few times it helps with a bit of release with the muscles there nice as, as if you if you got it yeah so breathe in really hard and really push and then and then just take your hands away and it's it's that nice release oh yeah um and the other thing that's really powerful to do which um is it's quite it's it can be quite painful but is to get your fingers under your ribs here okay you know we have our phrenic nerve that you probably know that runs you know that from you know at the back of our head c3 to c5 keep the diaphragm alive there's this huge connection between our neck and here and a lot of us me certainly i i had uh, uh, some whiplash injuries that I get a lot of neck problems here and yeah. a lot of people do when they're hunched down oh, and yeah. as soon as they come if I start massaging in there uh, right under my ribs you to get to your diaphragm so it's quite sore but if you if you do that and you kind of breathe into it so so I want to make sure I'm understanding uh, yeah pardon the interruption so so you're you're, you're actually pressing your fingertips underneath your rib cage. Yeah, got it. Yeah, You're hooking, like your this. Fingers under like that. Yeah. So, you know, some people don't like. I really didn't like doing it at first, but it's if I've got neck pain, it's pretty transformative when I do that. A, it helps release. You can almost feel the clicking as you release. You can feel the kind oh, of. Oh yeah. And so, so in your so like you're right by the xiphoid process. I mean, you're you're yeah, pretty just, central. Just, yeah. just just away from that, and just come under your ribs. Yeah, it is quite helpful to. 
I saw a functional osteopath who had done a master's in pain and she gave me these fantastic <laughs> techniques, fantastic. And I literally couldn't have the weight of my head on my shoulders. I was in so much pit. Neck oh, wow. Pain. Wow. And she did all this online and within within two days I was absolutely fine. And she did a lot of when you just rub here and it's it's oh. just about releasing the muscles from our rib cage and all around the intercostals and the sternum yeah 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 you so you like you give yourself you give yourself like an autumn auto massage so to speak yeah, a self massage and then in Qigong, huh. you know we go into the armpit area yeah. where you've got your lung meridians it's really good to have a tap in there or a huh. massage in there um so it's really good to kind of do whatever you can around your chest massage into these areas or tap it's really really nice. lovely to tap and around your diaphragm, huh. tapping around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and if you can, you know, give you you know have a little feel under there and feel how tight your diaphragm is. You know, sometimes <laughs> I can't get my finger under there at all. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, and sometimes when I have got a sore neck and I do it, and then it's like oh, you feel so much better. You know, it just yeah. completely opens you up, and you realise you've been like that. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, um, frozen there. And a lot of us are like that all the time without realising, um, you know, I, I, I still have to do it all the time. I still catch myself, think, oh, God, I've been at my computer for... No, no kidding, no kidding. And so can you, because we, we will do this, uh, we will release this one video visually, can you actually point out the the the, the location of the diaphragm in, in what you're doing? I mean, it's just oh, yeah, like... sure. So your diaphragm sits just below your ribs. So it's yeah. like dome-shaped muscle that kind of... You know, when you breathe out, the dome kind of relaxes upward, yeah. which is why it's very important to let it completely relax, not 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 force it out. So you right. but so that it completely relaxes, because, um, you know, that's what helps your organs move. It's what helps your heart, you know, your heart and your liver and your kidneys and all your organs are designed to move. So, you know, when you breathe in, your diaphragm moves down. Right. It's your abdominal cavity, and when you breathe out and let it relax, it moves up. And there's the how far does it actually move anatomically? I mean, are we talking about well, inches, millimeters? Do you know? It, yeah. Well, interestingly, Stephen Elliott, I've got some figures somewhere. Stephen Elliott, I think the maximum is ten centimeters. It can. Move. Oh wow! Wow. But that's not to say that's what you should do. I think. That's yeah, yeah. He says the ideal is if you can make sure it moves about two and a half centimeters. Yeah. Yeah, so 2.5 centimeters to an inch. So us, us in America, yes. so that's a little bit over an inch. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure that's what he said. I've got it written somewhere, but, yeah, I can double check. But I think it's around about that. Uh, where have I got it written? Oh, right. Yeah, I, it's about that. That's what I kind of base it on, as long as it's moving a couple of centimeters. Okay. Um, you know, I ideally more sometimes. But, you know, you start where you are, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And so along these lines, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're talking about all the things to do, things to avoid. So yeah. So how about like the role we're intimating this as well, the role of posture? Because again, oh my gosh, I, I mean, most of us spend how many hours, like I'm me included, sitting in this damn chair in front of my yeah. <laughs> computer screen, and and before I mean, I get up, I get up at least every forty five minutes. My watch reminds me. And I'll either do some stretches or I actually have some free weights I'll do. I'm, I'm constantly trying to get my body to move. So talk to us a little bit about things to 
a void that might bring about some kind of ossification or crystallization of the diaphragm or other you know, postural ingredients that are not conducive to really healthy breathing. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, that's that's the main one, really, is, it, it, yeah, sitting at our computer, um, it's that kind of, you know, and also there's this thing that they call, you know, that's been named email apnea, you know, that oh, when you're yeah. reading an email or something, you're concentrated on something, you stop breathing. And if you stop breathing, you do start to gradually hunch down because your diaphragm freezes up and your muscles kind of freeze up around there. So, um so yeah, anything you can do to move around. I mean, sometimes I just kind of stand up and I do some very, you know, simple Qigong, even if it's just kind of, you know, lifting my arms up and bringing them in. But something just to open up your chest and your shoulders um, is really helpful. And um, Yeah. Uh, Bipa Ramache once said something very beautiful, simple. He said, uh, stillness is good for the mind. Movement is good for the body. Simple yeah. as that. And I also I wanted to say something what you're talking about earlier about start where you are. I think that's really lovely because it, it, it reminded me of a famous line by Suzuki Roshi where he says, you, you always have to realize you're perfect. You are all, each of you, perfect just the way you are, but you could each use a little improvement, <laughs> right? So, so right on an absolute level, yeah, we start where we are. It, it, it's, it's kind of the paradox of what I've come to understand, the playful irony paradox of the path where uh, to actually improve, the fundamental improvement is a complete acceptance of where you actually are. I mean, how interesting is that? Because on one level, it seems like improvement, progress begets going to someplace other. But the best way to get to that other is to actually be fully where we are. And, and to me, that's one of the great ironies of the path, that if we actually, and this is why, if we set the metrics, if we say, okay, you really want to breathe 5.5 times per minute. And people are going to go, oh my God, I, you know, there's a new metric. There's a new bar. Oh, you have to, and I have dear friends who, uh, who write, oh, until you can meditate for X number of minutes or even hours, you haven't achieved this. And so then the whole thing just completely backfires. And so to me, it's this really playful, delicate dance of what Suzuki Roshi said, you know, you are all each perfect just the way you are, but you could all use a little improvement. And somewhere in there lies the truth, right? By, by meta maitri, complete acceptance of where we are with our faculties and foibles, only then can we actually um, evolve by ironically being just fully who we are right here, right now. And, and to me, this is one of the really central important points on the path that um, puts into question or sets a new relief, the whole notion of progress itself. I mean, what, what is the narrative of progress, the narrative of evolution? So anyway, that's that's what comes to mind around that. But I, I had never he heard this term email apnea before. That's a really good one. Um, I work when I was doing my clinical work. Uh, sleep apnea was a big part. I mean, it's just a cult, as you know, a colossal epidemic in the West, and really, really dangerous, really deadly kind of thing. So, um, any any other any other tips or tricks about? Uh, coherent breathing or ways to work with respiration both formally and informally uh, no i i think it's you know it's it's also you know bringing in the spirituality to it you know it it, it is it is a way of bringing that into our body so you know as you know it's like you're breathing your breath deep into your lungs so you know the only separate you know it's like 
it connects us to the outside world, you know, doesn't it? It's like, you know, we're, we're only separate by a tiny little cell where it transfers. Yeah. So it's this, I think it's developing this relationship with your breath to allow it to give you all these things. And yes, okay, we're talking about coherent breathing and there's all these advantages, but there's also a huge advantage of just allowing your breath to show you things, to help yeah. express things, to, you know, if you ask a question, if you've got a question, you know, take a breath. Yeah. You know, take a breath, ask the question, what, you know, I, I one teacher I had used to always say that, if ever you had a question, he's like, well, take a breath and now tell your answer. You know, it's like this this kind of connection with ourself, this, um, uh, you know, this kind of opening up and uh, allowing the spirit in, you know, as in Qigong, you know, they say that, you know, the, the lungs are where, it's where we connect with our spirit, you know, it's, it's through the lungs. So yeah. for me, that's a huge, huge part of it. And that's what makes it such a, a beautiful process. And particularly, I suppose, because I'm very connected with this feelingization thing rather than the visualization. So to be able to feel my breath in my body is really, really powerful. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about, I know you've, you know, you've written about in your book, you know, and talked about, you know, we, I can't, you used a term the other day about the fraction, the fraction, you know, how we, we see things, we make them continuous, but they're just little. Oh, the flicker fusion. The flicker, flicker fusion. fusion. Yeah. Yeah. And, but uh, with the breath, you know, your breath is continuous. So there's this lovely relationship you can develop, I think, around that because, you know, if you follow your breath all the way, then, I mean, I don't know, I could be wrong, but it that is continuous, isn't it? There's no yeah. kind of... Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, I'm not sure you're familiar, but there is an actual practice in the Mahamudra tradition that I learned from my teacher decades ago that I am I work with all the time and I'm sharing more. It, literally, one breath meditation session, yeah. literally. One breath meditation session. And, and I do it all the time. And in particular, Amanda, I do it when, when I'm feeling irritability or contraction, which means in the last couple of years, I've been doing it like all the time, right? So somebody presses my button, some news thing gets my goat. I feel myself needing to express myself, you know, reactively. I'll pause and I'll do, I'll do just literally a one breath meditation session. And it's like they say, in the, in the, again, in the highest teachings, Yes, it's helpful, important to do long retreats and that kind of stuff. But short sessions repeated often are just as important because they also allow you then to bring and mix your meditative mind throughout the day. You can just pepper it. Short sessions, one breath meditation throughout the day. And mm -hmm. you find yourself just more and more um, present. And, and I wanted to share with you in popular science, I'm not sure you've heard this, there's been some estimations using interesting radioactive isotope studies where, and this is really interesting just as a contemplation, we, there's often these sayings like, oh, you know, Christ is within you, Buddha is within you. Well, there's a little bit more truth to that than we might think because allegedly um, we have within us right now uh, at least one million atoms with our respiratory capacity that was in the body of the Buddha, that was in the body of Jesus Christ. It was in the body of Adolf Hitler. It was in the body of 
the the Boston Strangler. And so with every breath, we, we are literally mixing our mind with this cosmic recycling process of all sentient beings and life forms that have ex existed throughout history. And if we simply reflect on that, whoa, now there's a mind opener. I mean, the Christ is within you. Yeah, take deep breath. You've got a million atoms in your body right now that we're in the body of Jesus Christ. So, and where do we have this intimate kind con of con cosmic recycling process always occurring? In the spiritus and the actual movement of respiration, I think that's really the, I find that kind of cool. I, I've I've got that written here from your book, Dreams of Light. <laughs> oh, you know, okay. See, there you go. Well, if it's in my, if it's if it's in my book, it must be true. <laughs> About the um, I'd written I because I wrote lots of notes on Dreams of Light. I just adored it. I had so much clarity in it, and it was just beautiful. And yeah, that's one of the things I had written down about from it is about the fact that yeah exactly we're sharing this air with everybody and everybody that's been and everyone that will ever be exactly well, and, and even now the role of, of respiration with covid i mean how interesting that that manifests in terms of this worldwide pandemic and the role of respiration and all of that yeah so this is a big deal you know in the in the, in the kala chakra tantra again they're paying this a little bit more towards the spiritual and for deeper divers of the of the five elements Earth, water, fire, wind, space. Wind is considered the most powerful element. Yeah. As they say, is that which creates and destroys individual and collective world systems. But I do have a couple more questions for you, if you're okay. Is, yeah. there, is there a role in your understanding and practice? Two things. Uh, is there a role for holding one's breath? Um, because here's, here's the reason I mentioned this is sometimes, like you were talking about earlier, and I'll, I'll use my own language in here. I'm a curious, I'm, I'm just really intimately curious about the way things work, the way I work, the way my body, my mind works. And so often I'm just experimenting with stuff. Uh, when I'm doing my dream work, probably 50% minimum of what I learn comes from just playful, curious experimentation. And so often when I'm having, like when I used to suffer from insomnia, one of the things I just discovered was working with breath work in, in those circumstances. And one thing I discovered was taking a quite a, an exaggerated inhalation, holding my breath and paying exquisite attention to how it is that my mind manifests when I'm actually holding my breath. It's really interesting because if we use that thing that we started with an hour ago, that when you had that experience, you literally um, breathtaking, literally, you, you, you entered a state of meditative absorption where there was no breathing. Well, what is the role of actually holding your breath as a way to work with the velocity of the mind? So is there any, anything that you've studied or practiced or played around with along those lines that's worth the sharing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I did some training actually around that. I just haven't really used it in my work, uh, but I have used it myself. <clears throat> and it is really powerful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, because what it really teaches you is that by holding your breath and having that control of your breath and learning to to tell your brain that you're okay is a really powerful message it really then helps you when you're in a stressful situation it can really help you because you've learned to develop this control over that panic of not breathing sort of thing um so yes it, it can be really helpful Again, it's um, it's used in a lot of breathwork styles, as as you probably know, and 
you know, I mean, in pranayama, it's called kambaka. You know, when you kambaka, yeah, yeah, the, the you have you can either have them after the inhale or the exhale. And there are some breathwork styles that use these kambaka uh, breath holds, which can be fantastic. The, the you know, and some people, you know, use them all the time and have incredible outcomes. The thing is, they're not for everyone, and some people you know it's like people with and particularly with uh, long covid and things like that and chronic fatigue you know similar symptoms doing things like that is really not helpful for them at all mm-hmm. uh, in fact it can make things worse um a bit like the extended kind of exhales you have to be a little bit careful so it's not for everybody and the other thing is some people when when they do this it's like you get kind of hooked on this kind of <laughs> adrenaline of like well I can hold my breath for this long Um, but um, I think it has its place for sure and particularly I feel with that control thing um, because and what it's doing is it's teaching your body to deal with more carbon dioxide um, which is actually a good thing because by having more carbon dioxide in our system actually releases more oxygen into the cells the, called the bore effect um so you know we get scared of carbon dioxide but actually it's 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 very very important and so for listeners how might you recommend that one cautiously if, if they go oh that's interesting how might i play with that would you do you have any tips or suggestions like try this hold your breath on the inhalation for x amount of time hold your breath on the um uh, inhalation for X amount of time and just simply see how that works for you? Or how, how do you recommend? Because if it's not for everybody, how do you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if you're going to do that kind of breath work, it's probably best to do it with somebody in a class or with yeah. some kind of teacher to do it with them at, at first um, or to, you know, join something online, which obviously most, most people are doing now. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course you can experiment a little bit by, you know, holding your breath, you know, literally just for, you know, 20 seconds or something and see how mm-hmm. you find it. Um, see how it's, it, like you say, it's that curiosity, which is interesting. And it's seeing how your it's interesting to see how your body reacts to that, to that breath hold. Do you go into complete tense and panic? Right. Or can you learn to just relax knowing that you're okay that you've still got plenty of oxygen in your body and that you're okay it's a really interesting way to send those messages yeah you know just on a a sidebar footnote here i I watched something quite recently i think it was on 60 minutes just to show some extreme and and, and i actually did a presentation in london maybe four or five years ago at the welcome center in downtown uh, london and i was presenting some dream stuff and there was a gal one of the co-presenters who held the world record for deep dive, right? And so they had this guy, um, her presentation was just absolutely hypnotic. And she talked a little bit about respiration, but just to show people, this guy who holds world record is something like he can hold his breath, isn't it right? A man is something like six minutes and he can go down farther than the Statue of Liberty, like over 400 feet, which is just crazy. So again, I think it's disclaimer. more than that. Is that this, stick, um, stick somebody? I think you can hold it for about longer than that. I think it is. is. That, I, it's just, it's yeah. crazy. It's like, it's and they, they, yeah, they showed these little breathing exercises before he went down, how you would just like super oxygenate every, every cell and then, you know, plunge over, over 400 feet. Yeah. Like, wow. So, but what we want to do 
is we want to plunge not into the ocean. We want to plunge into the center of ourselves, right? So we want to use breath work to dive deep within our own body mind matrix. And so I think that's to me the key because when we, it's very interesting. I, I often invite people when they're working with meditation, especially as you know, Amanda, when we're doing like lucid sleep induction processes where we do this 21 breath thing to notice the intimate connection between respiration and and frequency velocity of of thought that when we're stressed out, um, hyper thinking where our our breath is usually very rapid, very shallow and just all over the place. And that is the mind slows down, the breath slows down. And because of this bi-directional component, therefore this is how the inner yogas work with it, right? And again, the idea of holding your breath, because if you hold, if there is this intimate connection, which any meditator can see, and when you enter these, these states of absorption, respiration ceases, all thoughts cease. It's like the outer respiration is correlative to the inner respiration, the wind, the prana lung. That's what actually moves the thoughts, right? So when you dampen all that down, thoughts stop, respiration ceases. And so therefore you can use working with external respiration intentionally now to work with the expression um, of mental content and how that works with uh, working with thoughts and the like. And so that's what I've played with, explored, um, both, on my, both on my own and through some traditional techniques. So any, any other final comments on that? Because then I have one last little thing I want to ping your way, but any other comments or thoughts about working with breath in this more structured way, whether it's either pranayama or kumbhaka, or in our tradition, we call it vase breathing, Oh yes, fast breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, there, there's so many different styles, and there's so many different things. You, you know, it, it's about finding something that works for you, and finding something that helps you connect within. You know, what 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 takes you there? What is it that works for you? How do you? If you're too focused on the on the actual, you know, process of the breath, and you're finding it really difficult, then you're not going to get the same out of it if you see what i mean so it's about finding what it is you want from it i think um there's there's hundreds of different types i mean pran you know as you know with pranayama there's 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 okay. different things for you know different problems you know you have like breaths for sleep or calming or you know things like that you know you've got the kind of the humming bee the humming that's a really powerful one to do and you know, all these amazing different breaths that you can do. It just depends what it is you're, you're looking for. Really. Yeah. And so then what is, in conjunction with this, what is the role, if any, uh, with breath and, and mantra? I mean, is there a way to work, to work with breathing in conjunction with mantra recitation and the like? Yeah, it's something I've been playing with a lot, actually, because... Um, I've been reading how, I mean, James Nestor talked about it in his book, Breath, and I know a lot of people have talked about the fact that a lot of the, some of the ancient mantras are timed at this coherent breathing rate. But I guess it depends if you're saying it out loud or whether you're saying it to yourself as to how you do the breath. And I've been experimenting a little bit because I love mantra. I find it really powerful. Um, and sometimes I see how many I can do on the exhale and then just take the six second inhale, or I just do it silently and then it does time to that 
but you know you can't easily time it to the six seconds you know that you know like on Mani Padme Hom or um some of the other sort of major ones um I do the green Tara one a lot which I do a lot to that yes. timing yeah. um but yeah if you're saying it out loud it doesn't quite work because you're obviously using a different breath rate when you actually vocalize something yeah absolutely um, but I I think there's a lot in it and you know I'd love to find out more about the best way to do it as well because it is a bit of trial and error at the moment where especially when you're doing if you're doing like a you know like often I'll do the 108 you know with my right. beads in the morning and and it's like do I keep the small breaths do I see how many I can do I don't know um it's it's something that I continue to experiment with um I don't know if you've tried anything like that, but you know, just like what you said, for me, it's more experimentation. What I read in, in, in Nestor's book was somewhat interesting to me because that that's something that's not um, overt in the literature. This kind of conjunction of recitation with with breathing. Um, okay. That's why I was curious what your experience may have been around all that. But yeah, I mean, I I just continue like you. I, I continue to explore to see what my body has to teach me, because I think sometimes some of the greatest insights come when I'm just silent enough, I'm open enough. And then in a certain way, again, the wisdom of the body, wisdom abides in the body. Mm. That's where the ultimate teacher is. That very often, if I simply am quiet enough, then insights about the connection between body and breath and mind just naturally unfold. And so um, whether it's overt practice with coherent breathing, with pause breathing, with pranayama, with exhalations and the like, or whether it's a more um, just completely quiescent, receptive mental attitude that allows me to then listen to what my body might be suggesting. Because very often to me, some of the most, those are some of the most interesting insights that really stick. It's like something, some voice from within, some ineffable whatever message guidance will come from my body that says either try this, do this, or actually sometimes the body just does it, right? The body, the body simply just does it. And, and I'm, I'm paying witness to this, this wisdom that's inherent in it. It's like, whoa, like, where did that come from? What's that about? And so for me, it's, it's largely, as we start to wind this up, largely about just making a more intimate, sensitive connection to the, to the elegance, the majesty, the mystery and the miracle that is this soma, this body, that that in spiritual, it's so helpful in the spiritual business because almost by definition for most people, unfortunately, spiritual is set in contradistinction and often then opposition to material, which means body. And we see this in negative senses when we look throughout the history of how the body was flagellation and, and extreme asceticism, you know, like the Buddha tried it, remember, didn't really work. Um, and so it's really this, this idea of not really transcending. I think Aurobindo once said something like, the process of the path is, is um, more about descent of the spirit into the flesh, embodiment more than transcendence. And so to whatever extent our dialogue today can be one of integration using paying attention to the body is not anti-spiritual in the slightest, that there's tremendous wisdom within this body and then really at, at the highest levels i think spinoza said um, and others have echoed that body is is just really rough gross mind mind is just really subtle body 
And so if we understand that, we realize this incredible um, connectivity between the two. And therefore, we can pay more attention to things that we just somewhat take for granted. And we miss opportunities to work with respiration, to work with digestion, to work with nutrition. Mm. So that's what I really like about your work. I think it's fantastic. It just makes it very earthy, very real, really practical and very grounding for me. It's, it just continues to augment my understanding of this, this little miracle that's underneath. See, I see I, even that was in a slip underneath. It's actually not underneath. It is you know, actually embedded. Um, I, you know, I, I think that for me, that's, you know, the essence of, 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 of work, of what I've done for myself and how I help other people is, is this kind of finding that trust again within, finding that place where you feel safe. It's like, and your breath can kind of really take you there. It's like this kind of, you know, it's okay. Send these messages that everything's okay. You know, it's, um, it's a kind of a way of, you know, I think we can get stuck in the kind of in language and the logic of language. And sometimes, you know, like you were saying just now about finding the wisdom within, you know, rather than, you know, maybe there aren't any words for it. Maybe there isn't something to explain it. Maybe it's just a message you get from within. It's just, you know, um, and I think people can find so much comfort and safety within that by using these kind of more restorative practices that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Regenerative, restorative. Well, Amanda, really, it's been such a delight. Tell um, tell us how we can learn more about you, um, what you're working on, how we can support you in your own adventures and upcoming activities. So, so. How can people learn more about you and stay connected with you? That's what I think is we, we always like to cross-pollinate what we're doing with our little community, with our guests. So how can we learn more about you and support what you're doing? Yeah, thank you. Well, um, I, my website is um, amandamorley.co.uk. Um, I've been a little distracted recently with house moves and flying off to the country, but um, my my work sort of has evolved a little bit. Uh, quite a lot over the years and it continues to because I continue to learn and I'm I'm always learning more and when you know better you do better kind of thing so I was I one of the reasons I'm moving to more into a more rural area is because I really want to do some more retreat work and there's some more opportunities for me down there because I think that's where you can really get you know people need those retreats people need that time out um that's where real healing can happen and you know i'd really love to sort of work more in that area so so yeah that's where i'm headed but yeah i do um work online and i mean i have been i was fortunate enough to do an in-person lovely big group class recently a while ago which was so beautiful and it just showed me everything about this energy that you know we get with people in real life so it was beautiful experience so but i do both you know you can still do a lot online so yeah it one-to-ones and groups yeah that's fantastic well thank you really for taking time out of your life and in the midst of this transition and the move it's really just been a delight i've learned so much and um it, it empowers once again just the simplicity of it all that if we simply just surrender in a certain way and open to the simplicity 
Yeah. We realize the magic that's always available to us. Don't you think? I'd love to leave with a quote, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. From from the lovely Pema Chodron. Um, Yeah. And she says, if we pause and breathe in and out, then we can have the experience of timeless presence of the inexpressible wisdom and goodness of our own minds. We can look at the world with fresh eyes and hear things with fresh ears. Yeah, and, uh, I love that so much. It, yeah, it sort of, you know, it kind of goes with what you were saying just now about that tapping into that wisdom within. But, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so nice to spend some time with you. Really, it's just fantastic. My, um, our listeners, I'm sure, will, will uh, glean a great deal from your experience, and all the best to you, Amanda. So we'll definitely stay in close touch. And we'll have to do this again sometime. Okay. Thank you so much, Ando. Um, thank you so much. It's been a real honour. Delighted to have been asked. So thank you very much. Terrific. Take care, dear. Bye. Thank you. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And a special thanks to Amanda for sharing her amazing, remarkable expertise on this topic. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out all the other offerings on Nightclub. There's lots happening these days. See you next time. And pleasant dreams.